Well, all right. I want to just take a moment and uh, walk through what this day, what this Christmas story looks like for uh, the shepherds. Now, you know the story. We're going to read the story out of Luke 2. But before I do, I want you to kind of see it from uh, the idea of what American, again, I'm all, I, I love being an American. I love it. Um, was in Canada last night. Like, couldn't wait to get back on this side. Like, love United States, United States of America. But we've done this thing, not just the United States, but our culture in the world, has done this thing with religious things or spiritual things or God things. We've done funny things of them. And Christmas is no exception. When you think of, in your mind, when you think of the, 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 the nativity, cute, right? Like you see this, this beautiful stable. It's got a big star on the top, right? Um, you've got animals. And you've got uh, shepherds. And, and, and the, there's three kings, even though the Bible doesn't say there's three. But they always think there's got to be just three. Um, and they all happen to be there at the same time. All these crazy things that, that, that we've done, we've kind of meshed it in so it fits in our pretty little nativity box. So you can put it on our fireplace and feel really good about, like, that's what it might have looked like. And I have a, and even like that Mary was like, just, just all like, smiley and Swedish. And like, it, there's all these things that happen in the nativity story that we have made to be that just, maybe aren't so real, aren't so, isn't such a reality. And I think it's neat. I think it's neat. It's, it's fascinating, actually. When you uh, research the history of first century Jewish culture, when you, when you die, when you zoom in to Bethlehem, when you zoom in to Jerusalem, or, or even... You, you zoom back to the Old Testament, you see, like, why did all these things take place? Because for you and I, when we see the nativity, and we see a baby in a feeding trough, like, laying in there, and there's, like, all these animals around, and there's, like, mom and dad are over there just smiling, there's people with, like, dudes with things on their head, like, that's not abnormal, right, for us, because from the moment we were born, these are things that we've seen. But this was absolutely abnormal of a story. It couldn't be more of an obscure story. But it couldn't be more of a surprising, obscure, radical story for anybody, I would argue, than the shepherds. These shepherds <laughs> were invited into a story that changed everything. Now, if you look, even in some of the nativity scenes, they leave the shepherds out. The word doesn't leave the shepherds out. And, but it doesn't make them the center piece of the story. But even just the thought of having a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, may seem obscure to us. But did it seem that obscure or strange to the shepherds? I would argue today that it didn't that obscure or strange. And here's why. Alright, you're at Luke chapter 2 and you're at verse 8. I'd like you to see this story from the shepherd's perspective. We've all heard this story. How many of you guys read this story maybe on Christmas morning or the night before? 
uh, grandpa maybe gets out his large Bible and he reads the story, or maybe you as, as a mom or dad or whatever, so you, you take turns reading the story. Anybody read Luke chapter 2 around Christmas time? A few of you? This is, uh, even when you hear it, sometimes you just, it's like, it's like hearing an old Christmas song when you're reading the word. But this is the account of what the Lord wants us to know about what happened that night. In the same region, what region? Bethlehem region. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you, I bring you, shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Wow, this is so big. Okay, sorry, um, I just got excited about what I'm talking about, and I'm still reading. Okay, stay with me. You with me? All right, cool. Hopefully you're as excited. Good news of great joy that will, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. This will be the GPS for you. This will be the leading uh, point map for you. That the baby that you find will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. A manger. This is a manger. There's several different kinds of mangers. Obviously, a manger is basically just a feeding trough. So, depending on the size of an animal, they need to be able to reach down in it. Um, obviously, it probably didn't look like there's stone mangers. There's, there's, there's some that are carved out of rock that, that, that are that way, or there's some that are made out of wood, or, or probably a hundred different ways that you could put in animals hay or food into something. That's essentially what a manger is. And suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. So at this point, it was just one angel speaking to the shepherds in the middle of the field that were watching their sheep by night. They're going about their own business. And it's one angel. As if that was not like amazing and like awe-inspiring enough, this is what happened. A heavenly host, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God thousands or perhaps millions I don't know just the overwhelming nature of the heavenly host that came and appeared to them and all of a sudden in this field became this huge worship session this huge moment of how they were praising God that they were giving these shepherds a taste on earth of what was happening up there imagine imagine because like imagine this excitement you're a parent, you buy your kids gifts for Christmas, and maybe there's that one gift that you're really excited about for your kid, or, or like you worked really hard, or you spent a lot of money, or whatever you did, that you worked, you're like, you're, you can't stop, you're, you're like so excited for them, even though you're not receiving the gift, you're just so excited for them to open it, like Christmas morning is just as exciting for you as it is for them, like you're from that angle, that's kind of, kind of, kind of, sort of, a little bit like these guys. They were so excited for the gift that's about to be given that they couldn't do anything but praise God. God, are you serious? Father God, thank you for sending your son. Are you kidding me? This is going to be amazing. He's born. They put him in a manger. That's crazy. God, this is great. Oh my God. Like they're excited. There's, there's this moment of praise. 
this moment of, can you believe this is happening? They were saying, glory to, singing, glory to God in the highest, and on this earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made, now made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They were trying to figure out, well, what did the shepherds tell Mary? What was that conversation about? Why are these guys here? I'm um, so there's a lot of questions about how, what that looked like. But Mary treasured up all these things. All these things. Like, could you imagine the emotional whirlwind? Like, she, like she's still like, in her head, like, how did I get pregnant? That's crazy. Like, <laughs> she's pondering, like, all these things. She's, Mary, Joseph is like, how did she get pregnant? <laughs> He's got all these things. I have so many questions, God. They're questioning so many things, but now the baby's been born. And there's this awe to it all. And these shepherds came. And she's pondering, like, she's real. She's real. She's trying to process this amazing, at some point, seemingly tragic thing that was about to happen. But now it's majestic and glorious and amazing. And here she is thinking about it. And the shepherds returned. After this whole experience, they returned glorifying and praising God at all they had heard and seen. Can you imagine how fired up they were? Walking back to their job in the field as shepherds. Verse 21. At the end of the eight days, when, they, when he was circumcised, he, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was even conceived in the womb. Wow. Really neat. Really neat to imagine what that would be like. I... I... I can relate to the word shepherd because that's actually one of the main things that, that people, in a week, if you think about the weird correlation, but it, it happens even now in 2017. People call pastor a shepherd. They call the people the flock. And so there's a lot of, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of personal um, understanding that in studying this and thinking about this for about a month now, this perspective, uh, what this would be like for them. What, what their job was like as a shepherd, tending, caring for their flock. And the deep love that they obviously have for, it is different for an animal, for, for most people. The love you have for an animal versus the love you might have for people. Um, but there's a lot of correlation. I want to talk to you just for a moment about before I get into to some practical application here at the end, I want, I want to, to give you about four things to walk away with if you're taking notes towards the end here. Um, and then I want to invite us up at the end um, to uh, partake with, participate with communion. Um, and I believe fully in, in studying this and in, in, in walking through this process that that this manger was 
was greatly significant, not just for the birth, but for the death. Not, not just the beginning, but the end. Um, and this morning, as we, we're going to have two lines. So I know sometimes the line, just from a, a reality standpoint, sometimes the line gets really long at the end. So I would encourage you guys, we're going to do two complete lines um, so we can go through it pretty quick. Um, take the cracker, which represents the body of Christ. And you dip it in the juice, which represents the blood of Christ. You just dip that cracker in, and you eat it, and, and you walk back to your seat. But in that significant nature of, of understanding what this means, the, the spiritual disciplines or the practices of our faith, it's not about that. It's about the significance of what that emotional, practical, actual step helps you think and process through. Sometimes it's celebratory. Sometimes it's rem a reminder of our sin in mourning and the death of Christ. Sometimes it's a celebratory of the resurrection of Christ. But today, I, I want to see it as we participate in communion. I want to see it from a perspective of a sacrifice. Sacrifice. Um, and the sacrifice that, was, that took place for you and I. Um, now, there's a lot of, I'll preface this uh, about, there's a lot of speculation on first century um, Jewish culture things in general. There's a lot of speculation, in it, and I'm not sure that the actual connection with this story, I'll preface with that, but it's actually neat to kind of zoom in to that culture and find out what, what was that like for those shepherds? Why, why did God choose shepherds? Shepherd? Like, here's the thing. God, as you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, He never does anything just random. Even if it seems random, and the more you look into it, the more you compare it to Old Testament, the more you look at the depths, the more you zoom out and see the heart of God, you see it from 30,000 feet or this close. God always does everything for a purpose. And even in painful things, even in tragic things, it's so hard to see it through that lens. But somehow, some way, that is playing into the greater story of what's happening. Both for them and today for you. So my encouragement as we walk into this is that you wouldn't just see these shepherds as just some smelly bearded dudes in a field. Alright? That you would see this. They were invited into the greatest story. And if we're honest with ourselves, whether man or woman, young, old, or somewhere in between, we're always asking ourselves, God, when am I going to be invited into a great story? When am I going to be significant? Not popular, not rich, not famous, none of that. But when is my life, my purpose, going to actually count for something that adds up to anything? We've all asked that. In some ways, whether we're underappreciated, whether we're not noticed, whether our self-esteem is low, whether we've been accepted or rejected, or somewhere in between of just trying to please someone, we've all felt that way. And those shepherds felt no different. So in first century Jewish culture, um, there was actually um, a lot happening in regards to religious uh, practice. As you know, the temple is now in Jerusalem, um, and that is the place where all these religious practices were happening in, obviously, the Jewish faith. Many of them are still taking place. Um, 
But one of the major things that happened that God had actually set up through his Old Testament sacrifices, and you can look that up, look this up in Numbers and Leviticus specifically, of how these sacrifices work. But let me give you the 30-second gist. Animals were killed, were slaughtered. And no, 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 this is not acceptable. Don't tell PETA about the Old Testament. It would not be good, not be a good situation. But what happened was there was a reason for that. Past what our opinions or how like gross or like awful that may sound by reading it, uh, zoom into the culture and understand what God was trying to do. He was trying to communicate that blood meant life. And that sin meant death. And in order for us to have life, sin, or excuse me, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be given. And so rather than the blood of man being shed, God set it up so that the blood of certain animals, specifically bulls, goats, lambs, would be shed as an atonement, as a, as a, as a sign of faith in your sins being forgiven, being atoned for. And so this practice happened for thousands of years in the Jewish temple. Now, one of the ways they set it up was that during the Passover, which, I, again, I won't get into the depths of that, but during the Passover, there was a specific kind of animal that was significant. That the blood of that animal actually gave you forgiveness over your whole life as a whole. It needed to happen yearly at the Passover, but the Passover, or the blood from a perfect, spotless lamb, the blood of a perfect, spotless lamb during the Passover in the temple, performed by the priests and their duties, when as they were ceremonially clean, that would forgive you. As a temporary, follow me, as a temporary sacrifice for your sin. Now, the Messiah is coming. The Jews believed that the Messiah was coming. They believed that in the sacrifice, that ultimately, that right now, like guys, just right now, just temporarily, the blood of this lamb will show as a sign for you to be forgiven of your sins temporarily until the Messiah comes back. So now do you see, when you look at the Old Testament, you see how big that is? It covered a lot of years, but a lot of it in the prophets were these guys talking about, like, guys, look over the hill. The Messiah is coming. Like, this is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to be like. Like, because they, there was this anticipation of the Messiah coming. Because you know what? They didn't want to keep killing animals forever. And it wasn't even just about the animals. They didn't just want a temporary sacrifice. They wanted an eternal, a forever sacrifice. And so when you read Hebrews, it talks about these, this from, from a Jewish perspective, like the temporary sacrifice was ultimately just a shadow awaiting a dot, dot, dot for the eternal, forever, a once-for-all sacrifice from the, the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus, as John says. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They were, yes, they were killing real lambs. And the blood of the Lamb atoning and, and contributing to the forgiveness of our sins. But ultimately, that a once-for-all sacrifice, the blood of the Lamb, would give us a once-for-all sacrifice for all of our sins, for all time, past, present, 
and future. And there, check this out. How do people in the Old Testament get saved? How do, how do the Jewish people get saved? The same way you and I do. We're, we're here 2017, and we're thinking back in faith of what Christ did on the cross. And by faith, we receive that atonement for our sins about what happened in the past. The Jews, in the Old Testament, the same way. They're believing in faith that it's coming. Does that make sense? And so the atonement, the eternal sacrifice for our sins has always been there and available. Whether it hasn't happened yet or whether for us 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ it happened. Does, it, does that make sense? Back to the shepherds. So these guys, or excuse me, the, the lambs were used for the sacrifice. So, so like this wasn't just like, hey, we need a lamb to sacrifice. Let's just, let's go hunting. Let's go find one. We'll lasso it up, throw it in the wagon, headed to Jerusalem. It's the Passover week. Like, we're going to just do this. That's what we're going to do. No, not at all. They were very, very specific about how this lamb needed to be raised, how when it was born, it was literally checked over to make sure it was perfect and spotless. And then it was guarded. It was guarded by these shepherds. Now, literally, historically, there was one place, because they needed, they needed like hundreds and thousands of them over time. They didn't need millions of them during this Passover time in Jerusalem. And hopefully you're still following me. So they needed one factory, essentially. They needed one specific factory to make, or excuse me, to birth, to aid, to watch over these specific, spotless, perfect lambs. And it was actually at a place about three to four miles from a place called Bethlehem. It's actually a thing. In fact, you can turn there, or I think he's going to have it on the screen. Micah chapter 4 talks about this. It says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those who have been afflicted. And the lame, I will make the remnant and those who are cast off as a nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Check this out. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion. And you, O tower of the flock, what is that? What is the tower of the flock? Tower of the flock is actually a literal place. It's a place called Migdal Eder. It's this place I'm telling you about, three or four miles from the town of Bethlehem. Migdal Eder was a simple place, not a significant place, but it was where these specific shepherds were from that cared for these specific, spotless, perfect sheep. And it was a, it was a simple, um, you can Google if you want, it's really fascinating. It was a simple, like, tower, uh, no, no taller than the ceiling, made of stone. The top is open like a balcony, and they put a, a roof over it. And that's literally one of the ways they would watch over these specific, spotless, perfect lambs that would be sent on the main road to Jerusalem for the sacrifice at the temple. These lambs, they 
were legit. These weren't just any sheep. They weren't just any lambs. They were legitimate. And so there's this belief, there's this connection that I don't know is legitimate, but I think it's really neat when you zoom into the actual historical accounts of first century Jewish culture and you see the shepherds, that there was actually a place called Migdal Eder that these shepherds, this is what they would do. So, why did they build a tower? Why wouldn't they just walk around with their staff that curves at the top and wear the cool outfits like you're going to see next week with the kids program? Because they needed to be in a place that was higher where they could look over their flock always because these were not just any lambs. These were special, specific, perfect, spotless lambs. And so as they had watched over them, they were higher. But on the main level, that was essentially the maternity ward. So when the sheep was ready to give birth, they would bring the sheep in, in the, in the main level of this tower, looked a lot like a cave, and they would bring the sheep in, and the sheep would give birth to this lamb, and the first thing that they would do to the lamb is this, according to historical account, that they would take the lamb, and they would wrap if they perceived that this lamb was perfect and spotless, they would wrap it in cloth and they would put it in some type of feeding trough. Because what they needed to do, if it was just any sheep, they would just let it do its thing. But they needed to be able to examine that, that it did not have any spot. And so they would put it in something like this so that it would calm down. So that it would relax so that they could truly check it over. So I'm reading this and the biggest question I have in chapter 2 of Luke when it says that um, verse 11 for unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior which is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign for you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. That whole process. Here's my thing. Like, I'm totally speculating, but it's fun to think about. That's how they found Jesus. They knew that's why they wrapped him up. They knew that's why they put him in the manger. Why wouldn't Mary be holding him? She didn't have twins. She wasn't, she was like recovering and she could have, like, she wasn't, like, what, what mother's like, ah, get him out, put him in the feeding trough. Like, that, that just didn't happen. And again, I'm speculating, but I'm, 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 I'm diving into the story, and I'm totally dreaming, what would it be like for these shepherds to truly find what they were looking for? Where would they look? Where would they go? Well, the angel says right there that this will be the sign. They knew exactly where to go. They knew exactly what to look for, because they, their whole life, they had been walking through the steps of trying to prepare a perfect, spotless lamb. And that's why God chose them. You see, shepherds, guys, they, they were lowly dudes. They, this was not like a, just a hardworking, man-hands, blue-collar kind of job. These guys were not seen as being very acceptable in society. They're, why? I mean, just the natural aspect, they're covered in who all day like they're 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 hard work. they're out their main job is to tend the flock to to watch over their flock day night 
good weather, bad weather, no matter what. They weren't necessarily accepted. And so, they know what it's like to not be invited into the story. Just get out there and do your thing. Just, just keep grinding out there. It's hard for us to understand that because we've glorified the shepherds. But if you even look now in other regions of the world, these are, this is not, it's not a prestigious job. But I love, I love this story because I love how God zoomed in and he got them. And he chose them to be a part of the story. I'm, I'm hoping and praying that you can relate to that. Newsflash. Every story of the Bible, every great story, zooms in on the underdog. It picks them the least likely. It picks the B team, the JV. The guys didn't even make the team. God chooses those people. And honestly, any great story is about the underdog. Any great movie, it's about... Think about this. Think about this. Like, Rudy, come on! Have you seen Rudy? It's because he... The only, re, the only reason that movie's great is because he's not good. Right? But his heart is so big. And he just keeps fighting in every Disney movie and every great story that could be told. If you think about it, zoom in. It's about the person that wasn't that great, but somehow they did greatly significant things. This is why our culture picks people like Princess Diana. Why, why did people love her so much? It's because she wasn't born royalty, but yet she made it into royalty. And people loved her. And I could give you 50 probably 50 or more examples of this in our culture, in our movies, in any great story that someone could, could tell. But the Bible does the same thing. Picks the most ordinary, random, seemingly insignificant people and uses them in significant ways. Noah, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the whole line, David, David, that was, his whole, that was his whole story. He had all these brothers, and they were going to pick one to anoint their head with oil. They were going to line him up. Who's going to be the next king of Israel? And Jesse is the dad. He brought out his whole, his whole fleet of dudes, all his kids. He forgot his own kid, David. Why? Because he was maybe the smallest or maybe the most unlikely, insignificant child in the family. But yet, David changed the world. And out of David, the line of Jesus came. You see, like, that's the whole story. It's the whole significance of any part of our story isn't making us significant. It's making him significant. Even Jesus, even though he was the son of God, even though he was God in a skin bag, he came, yes, I said that. He came in the most humble way. He was born in a barn or cave or Cataluma, stable, however you want to say it. And then he got laid in a thing that a horse ate out of the day before. Or a lamb was laid in so that they'd hold still. He was raised in a humble way. What good thing comes from Galilee, right? What good thing comes from Nazareth, right? He wasn't born in the royalty aspect of what the earth would consider. 
And obviously, he was setting an example. He was setting a way. Even when John the Baptist, John the Baptist, like the greatest evangelist, he's like, prepare the way of the Lord. And he was so well known and even seen as, you know what, he might be the Messiah. Even his message was get out of the way. Here comes Jesus. Here comes our Messiah. And what did Jesus, the first thing when he, when, when he showed up with John in that scene, what was his first reaction? It wasn't like, out of my way, John, just so you know. Yeah, he's right on the side. What did, what did Jesus do when, even when he saw John the Baptist? He says, John, humble myself. I want you to baptize him. He put himself in a position constantly, not, not downing on himself, not throwing a pity party, not low self-esteem, because he knew who he was and where he came from. But he placed himself in such a secure position in order to serve, in order to seek and save that which was lost, in order to be at a point where he is the good shepherd can look out over the flock and take care of the flock. Where he, as the priest, the true high priest could come and be, not get the sacrifice and take it to the temple to be sacrificed. But as the great high priest could actually be the sacrifice. You see, at the beginning of a lamb's life, those shepherds would take the lamb and they would put them in a place where they could not move. That was like their first moment. They were invited to a place where they could be examined, where they would draw all people's attention to the lamb. The first day, the first moment of a lamb's life. But honestly, I, I took a tour of a replica of a, the temple um, and the sacrifices of how this all took place um, many, many years ago. And when they would actually sacrifice a lamb... This is exactly what they would do. They would literally put them in a thing that looked almost exactly like this. It would fit right around their body where they couldn't move, where they could um, sacrifice them quick and as painless as possible. But it put them in a place where they couldn't move. First moment of a lamb's life and the last moment of a lamb's life being put in something be looked at and just put on display and raised up for all to see and for you to be your life to be taken by your blood being drained from your body your life being drained from your body I think this is this is no accident when Jesus was born he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and he was laid in this and I think it's just as significant that the very last moment of Jesus' life, he was put in something where he couldn't move. And his blood, literally, his life, left his body through his blood. So, for those shepherds, they knew exactly why Jesus was in a feeding trough. They, they, knew, they knew that the, the depth of significance. 
And when they were sitting there in their field, and here comes the angel, and they call these, these dudes out, and they, and they called these shepherds out, and they said where to go and what to do. They weren't just excited about the moment. This wasn't just about their big day. This wasn't just about like, oh, it's been a rough life living a shepherd, but now we're going to write books about this angel experience. Like, this is going to be amazing, and everything changes. They weren't just invited into the story. This wasn't just like, publisher's clearinghouse has come, and now your life is totally different because the angel showed up, and now this field is going to be a holy ground because you're going to, like, put together a theme park about what happened this one night. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about them. They weren't called in to, for them to become significant. Although in that moment, God made them completely significant. He called them, and they took every part of their life, and all the poop, and all the stuff that they've been through, and they fought through, and they cleaned, and all the things that they worked for, and every day that they watched, those, that flock, every moment they worked hard to be faithful to what they were doing and who they're supposed to be, now had everything to do with why God chose them. It had to do with why God chose them. Because they were faithful to it. And God invited them not to be the centerpiece of the story. God invited them to be a part of the story. A, such a small, insignificant part of the story. And honestly, sometimes the nativity leaves it out. But God spoke a language through that angel that they understood it. That's what you're doing? Oh, man. Like, I bet you're one of the first people that understood the, 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 the greatness of Jesus as a sacrifice. They understood it that day. Honestly, maybe that's what they told Mary. Maybe that's what they told Mary. And maybe that's what she was pondering in her heart. Think about it. She's like, I'm pregnant. Don't know how that happened. Okay, the angel told me. Okay, I convinced Joseph. And like nine months later, like, bada bing, here we go. What is going to happen with this baby now? Like, okay, you gave me this baby, but like, how does this work? Is he just going to live forever? Am I going to live forever? Like, there's probably all these things that Mary's thinking about. But maybe the shepherds clued her in that this was not actually about some great, significant, glorious, kingship-filled life for Jesus. Maybe this life was more about sacrifice and less about royalty. Because even Jesus, who made the world, didn't see this world as a place where he needed to be lifted high. But he challenged his men that if you lift me high, all men will come to me. That'll happen naturally because forgiveness, because of the Holy Spirit, because of God's plan, all that. But the whole idea wasn't about him becoming greatly significant. It was about him ultimately being a sacrifice in that moment. And the picture that that plays and how that plays into the greater story and the greater picture. So we ask ourselves, when am I? When am I going to be a part of the greater story? When are you going to be a part of the great story? Four things, real quick. When does God invite us to this great story? Number one, God invites us to this great story when he catches us being faithful. Church, this is, we, we can shift from the the shepherd analogies, okay? This is real life for you, for me. You know, like, God sees everything, right? He knows our heart, 
Our intention, as David describes it, he knows our thoughts before afar off. Um, and that's not at a point to like bring fear in us. It's a, it's a point to bring the reality. Forget the sin part for a moment. Because remember, if you've, if you've died with Christ and you're raised a new life to Him, He sees you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees you as holy. So step outside for that and see how He's made you, how He saved you, how He's redeemed you. See that for a second. What has He called you to do? And are you being faithful to that? Moms, dads, sons, daughters, workers, things you're called to do, are you faithful in that? And I, jeez Louise, like imagine calling off sick, or calling in sick that day for the shepherds. Like, I don't know, man, I've been out there, it's cold. We're watching those sheep, they don't do anything different. It's just like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm done. I just need a break. I just, I like, I, I can't do this anymore. They didn't do that. They were faithful. They showed up. Their faith produced faithfulness. Their faith produced faithfulness. You guys, we could say we have faith. But the works in it is our faithfulness. The faith turns to faithfulness. If you believe something, if you believe in something, specifically what God's called you to do, and His nature, His character, your identity in Him, and what His church is, and what the church is supposed to be doing, and what your role in that is, and what our role in that is, and what we're supposed to be believing and leaning into this city, and what all the things that God is going to do, what He's going to do, we have to be faithful to that. It starts in our heart. It starts in our home. It starts with our spouse. It starts with our kids. It starts in our work. And it overflows into this building. And then this building overflows into the church. But we have to be faithful. God's looking for the faithful. He's not looking for the talented, the loud, <laughs> those that have a big badge or a title. He's looking for, the, he's calling out somebody. He's calling out somebody that doesn't even know they're about to be called out. Because he's not looking for the A-team. He's not looking for the varsity MVP. He's looking for the dude that got cut from the team four times. He's looking for the lady that thinks she's messed it up so many times that she cannot even try anymore. Why even give, why, why even care? Why even show up? Why even, why even continue? Why? Because God's looking for someone to be faithful. Number two, God shows up when we are available. God shows up and he invites us into the great story when we're available. Um, nobody understands this more than a shepherd. You see, when a shepherd is caring for so many sheep, he's consumed with them and not consumed with his own health or his own well-being so that he can care for more sheep or specific sheep in a certain way. Whether you're a mom or you're a dad or you're Honestly, anything. We're called to be shepherds. We're called to care for one another. And we're called into this place where we must be available. Not to everyone, not to, at all times. That can get consuming. And my guess is your life is as is, is consuming and maybe perhaps busy as mine. And it's tough. It's tough to be available. When you've committed to so many people, or you've committed to certain things, it's hard to be like, Arr! okay, I'm available. But I just want to encourage you, moms and dads, moms and dads, as I said a few weeks ago, coming into the Christmas season, be available. Be available for your kids. 
even for a second, even for a second. See, God's not looking for the greatest mom with the best blog or pictures or best hair or this, that, or the other. He's not looking for, he's not looking for the dad that makes the most money, the dad that has, he can build stuff out of pixie sticks and all kinds of other manly things. He's looking for the dad, he's looking for the dad who's not so egotistical that he's so busy that he can't sit down and get on the ground with his kids. He's not so important that he can't meet his wife's needs. He's looking for a church member that's willing to stand in the gap where there's a gap. A church member is going to be faithful in every way faithful when it's easier to run. He's looking for a friend. Not, the, not that's the greatest friend in the world, but the friend that's available. The friend that's like, hey, put a burger in front of me, put a coffee in front of me, put a couch under me. I'm all in, man. I'm listening. I'm a friend. I'm a, whatever. What has he called you to do? It's not maybe this grand, significant, you're the next president of the United States moment. We've got enough of that, like, I want to be the king kind of perspective. How about we just be the servant? How about we just serve one another? How about we just care for one another like the shepherds did? How about we be okay with showing up and understanding the depths of what God's doing, even though it may not look pretty, even though it's not very like, oh yeah, this is what my life was made for, is to come observe that Jesus being in a feeding trough had deeper significance than just a place to put him because we didn't have a crib. Maybe for you, it's this moment that you seize in your availability that you understand the great story of what God's doing. Number three, when we aren't looking for a major role, that's when he's looking to invite us into the great story. So many of us aren't willing to serve or shepherd unless we have an awesome, awesome title an awesome paycheck, an awesome pat on the back, an awesome recognition. Like, we feel, in, in our culture, we feel entitled to this. Like, well, I don't know. Can we just understand that these guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing? They weren't consumed with being a major role in the play. Are you okay with, are you okay with being like, completely in the background in the grand story of God I don't even care about that it's honestly if I'm like a grain in the sand if, of, of, of like restoration coming to the city of Jamestown the conduit is like a bucket of sand in, in the grand ocean of what God wants to do in this city in this county, in this state, in this world awesome right? Dad, you may not go down as the greatest dad in the world, but if you're one little piece of contributing to your child knowing the love of God and the redemption that comes through this baby that was born, you win. Mom, dad, everything, like mom specifically, you work so hard, whether you work a job or you work a job at home. The way that you work in your faithfulness, your role is so ridiculously significant. And if you're a grain in the sand, 
of your child someday having a deep love and understanding of the Holy Spirit, of God's power on their life, and all because you were faithful and you were available and you didn't need all this credit. If you were just faithful to that, the moment God showed up, that's the story. That You're the person he wants to be a part of the great story. Now, I don't leave anybody out, but number four, lastly, is this. When we realize that we are already a part of the story, that's when God begins to invite us into the story to be used. Every single one of you is a part of the great story of God. Some of you are a part of the story where we've talked about mostly where you're the shepherd. Like, and I'm encouraging you to be faithful and available and not seek a role, just seek to serve. But maybe some, some of you are maybe right there. Like, you just, like, if today's message could just, like, be, like, echoed a thousand times over, it'd be like, get in the game, trust the Lord, be faithful, be the shepherds, see that you don't need to sit in a role. But here's the other part. There might be some people in this room, as Bryce uh, alluded to earlier, Maybe you're back further in the story where it said that the good news of the gospel and peace on earth and that this was good news for all men. Maybe you're right there. Maybe you're like, I don't know what God wants me to do because I don't know what God has for me. But what he's got for you, first of all, is love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and peace and kindness and a new life redemption, restoration, and hope. He's got that for you. And maybe today, if you want to grab me or Pastor Cameron at the end up front or Katie or anybody, like, I need Jesus. I need this Jesus. I need, I want to go see him. I want to receive who he is. I want all of him. I need that peace. I need that redemption for myself. I need to forgive. I need all this. I need him. Come see us. We love love to pray with you. Love to begin your story because right now he might be calling you into the great story. The great story of God. But for the rest of us, maybe even as Christians, we, as Christians, we uh, participate in communion. As a shepherd, may we have this great understanding. This grand understanding. Today, if you're not in the game, Know that he's asked you to be in the game. In your home, your church, in your city. It looks different for all of us, but I hope and pray that you leave motivated, that you leave charged, that you see that the sacrifice that Christ was wasn't just in this moment, at the first moment of his life, but at the last moment of his life. That his, his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us was to give you new life. Why? Why? So you can be a part, maybe a seemingly insignificant part of the great story. And someday, someday, we're going to be where that heavenly host was praising God and glory in the highest. And we're going to understand and see it with our own eyes from their perspective. And it's going to make sense. And it's going to be all worth it. Are you in? win? Alright. Well, let's pray. Let's stand. I'll pray. And then if you can just form two lines and we'll participate in communion.